Okay, so high schoolers, you are dismissed. May God bless uh, your time as you study about your identity, which is an important subject. You know, one of the questions I think that we ask a lot is, or we, may, we ask it in a lot of different ways, is how do I make my life work, right? How do I make my life work? And I think the reason why more and more people, it's, it may sound like an easy question, but it's also a confusing question too, because the answers are so many, right? You know, with technology and everything like that, we have so many options. We have so many different voices telling us how to live our lives. And it starts when we're young, right? It starts like, hey, what kind of clothes should I wear? What kind of shoes should I buy? You know, when I was a kid, I really didn't have that problem. We didn't have the internet. You know, I couldn't go to all these different websites and buy stuff from all over the United States and have it sent to my house. You know, for those of us who are uh, old enough to remember, basically the things that I had to choose from was a Sears catalog. And we would get that once a year, and that would be like Christmas for us. Because we'd get this year's catalog, and we could see all of the things that were coming out that year. And then maybe once a year, we made that, our pilgrimage to that Sears just east of downtown L.A. How many of you remember that Sears? Right? We'd go there, and we, we were just so happy. And one of the reasons we were happy, because we, if you go down to the basement, what was down there? Popcorn. Yes, you remember popcorn. And so that was the biggest thing for us, right? But we got to look at the clothes because that was our only choice. You know, when I, got, when I went to college, you know, I, I only had a few brochures that I had from uh, my, uh, the guidance counselor, right? I didn't have the internet. I wasn't able to research every single university in the whole United States. And so when it came to picking school, I, you know, I, lived, I only had like five choices or something like that. You know, of course, grades played into that too. And that kind of narrowed my um, uh, choice there too. But we didn't, I didn't have the amount of information that we have today. And it's just crazy how easily we could get this information. So how do we know what's true or not? It's really interesting. In 2016, November, the Pew Research Center surveyed that 76% of U.S. adults, 76% of us say that they would benefit a lot from having at least one of seven different kinds of help in accessing information that could help them make decisions. 76%. Why? Because there's so much out there. It says 70% said that they would benefit from an unlimited data plan to get information to help them make decisions. Why is that? Because probably that's our main source of getting information. So 70% said they would benefit from an unlimited data plan. 60% felt they needed more training to locate trustworthy information. Because everything on the uh, web is true, right? 
You know, when I was growing up, we didn't have the web. And so what, what we had was a world book encyclopedia. How many of you had the world book encyclopedia? Look at all you guys. All right, more than I thought. So you know. Now, the World Book Encyclopedia were these big books, right? And all they would do is filled with all of these facts. And so it was listed from A to Z. And so whatever you wanted to know, you had to look at those encyclopedias because they had the, all of the facts that we needed, right? They were all right there in our house. And then this thing called Wikipedia comes up. Now, me, when it first came up, I just heard Pedia. Right? It's like an encyclopedia, pedia. So here I'm thinking that Wikipedia, that's the gospel truth. Because it's like an encyclopedia. But guess what I found out? That these are just people's thoughts. These are random people writing what they think they know about a subject. And then on top of that, people could go in and edit that. And for a while, I started quoting Wikipedia. Because I thought that was the truth until I found out that, no, it's not the truth. Or how many of us, when we're sick, we go to WebMD, right? Say, type in your symptoms. And you look at those symptoms, it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to (laughs) die. You know? Because all of the symptoms you have, all of the worst diseases that you get of a contract, those are your symptoms, right? But we're looking for help to enable us to make a decision because we want to be correct. <coughs> it said, get this, I, I thought this was kind of high, but it said 43 to 47% felt that closer libraries and longer library hours would help them. Now, close to 50% wish that they had closer libraries. Any of you guys go to the library? Wow, not 40% of you, though. You know, so I thought that was kind of interesting. But this is the one here. It says nearly three quarters, 74%, says having more people in the social uh, circles with knowledge of key issues would help them um, least in decision making. Could you believe that? 70% says having people in the social circles with knowledge of key issues Oh, no, would help them at least. So that, that makes a huge difference. Okay. <laughs> so basically what he's saying is 75 of the people wished that they had people in their social circles to help them in decision making. Now, out of that um, 75%, 37 said this would help us a lot. She almost blew my whole um, main point here with that one mistake. You know, but basically what this is saying... Yeah, we've got all that information out there on the web. But 75% of us would want that one-on-one, that personal contact with somebody that we could talk to our issues with, somebody that we know we could trust, somebody who has an experience in this area. And this is important. This is important. And this is why mentors are needed, right? You can't be mentored by a computer. You can't be mentored by a website, you know? You have to be mentored by people. That's what we want. We want to be mentored by people. And so what this is saying here is that, you know, 
we are all mentoring people, whether we think we are or not. Because people are looking at us, whether it's our children, whether it's our coworkers, extended family, the people in our organizations, they're all looking at how we live our lives. And some might be pattering, patterning their lives after us without even knowing it. Right? Why? Because 75% of people want that one-on-one touch. And so um, we're going to take a look at mentoring today and to talk about the importance of mentoring. And we're going to take a look at that through the um, Apostle Paul as we go through um, 1 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting with uh, verse 1. Okay? And he starts off by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the command of our God and Savior and Christ Jesus, our hope. It says, To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God to the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we know this letter was written by Paul, but it was also, we know who it was written to. It was written to Timothy, who Paul was mentoring, who Paul was giving instructions to on how to lead the church in Ephesus. But he says, my true son in faith. Now, it's interesting he says true son, because we know that Timothy wasn't his son. But basically what we know about Timothy is Timothy had a Jewish mother and a a non-Jewish father. And so according to the Jewish person, the the Orthodox Jew, he would be considered a half-breed. And he would have been looked down upon because he wasn't full Jewish. Okay, so when he would come to teach, and when he would say, you know, I'm living out the faith, they would just look at him and say, no, you're not. You're not a true Jew, you know. But what is Paul saying here? It said, my true son in the faith. And what Paul is saying here, your lineage doesn't matter. Really? Just because you are the son of Abraham doesn't necessarily mean that you are a true son of Abraham. Because what Paul, even Paul made a distinction between those who are ethnically or nationally Jewish and those who were obedient and um, followed the Jewish law. There was a difference. And this is what he's saying here. And this is going to be important as we go on um, and talk, as we hear what Paul has to say. But one of the first things that we see here about mentors, and this is something when we, as you approach this sermon, I hope, and I want you to approach it from the fact that you and I, we need to be a mentor. Okay? Number one, we are mentors, but you and I need to be a mentor. Because the question is, what are we mentoring? We're all mentoring something. We're all mentoring something, okay? And it says, so first of all, mentors preserve the faith. Mentors preserve the faith. He says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay here in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things provoke controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. And so what um, Paul is saying here is, look, you know, there's some false teachings going out 
out there. There are people talking about um, myths. They're adding that to the gospel. People are talking about the importance of genealogies or bloodlines. Now, we don't know to what extent they were doing this. But one of the things that we do, it gives us a hint here where he says, um, such things promote comfort controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work which is by faith. So we kind of realize that or it gives us hint that what they were doing is they were using the law. They were using the gospel this Jesus plus thing that you needed to do in order to live out your faith. In order to gain salvation. Which we know is not by works right? But just through faith, right? And so there was this dangerous teaching going on throughout the church. Now what who was probably leading this were probably the house, you know, there wasn't a big church like this. There were a bunch of house churches. So it was probably some of the house church leaders or elders that were teaching um, um, the, these false doctrines and, and bringing this into the church. And so what Paul is telling Timothy is you got to command that, you know, these to stop these teachers to stop this. Why? Because your job as a mentor is to preserve the faith. To preserve the faith and not to get it diluted by this other stuff that's coming in from other people. You know, and if we were to take a look at this situation today, one of the most dangerous teachings I see creeping into this church or attitudes that are creeping into the church is that Jesus as Savior only. Jesus as Savior only. Meaning that, you know, I went to that crusade. I raised my hand. I asked Jesus into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. And then that, that's it. That's it. I got my ticket into heaven. It says, I need Jesus. I want Jesus to forgive my sins and gain entrance into heaven. But I really want to do what I want. I want to do what I want with my time, my money, my actions, everything. And it's like, Jesus, just give me enough blood. Just give me enough blood to save me. To forgive my sins. And then when I die, that's when I'll see you. That's when I'll experience you. I'll see you at the pearly gates. Right? And we see this teaching or this attitude creeping into this church. Why? Because there are so many distractions out there. So many things. So many different voices pulling us in different directions. Right? And it's kind of like um, what Pastor Steve said when he was, you know, in his sermon, when he was prefacing his sermon. He was telling us that he grew up in the streets of Oakland, and he belonged to, as he called, a clique, right, a gang. But he said there were two kinds of people. He said there were wannabes, and then there were the hardcore, you know, gangbangers. He said, and at one point, you're going to be outed. Because you're going to be asked to do something to prove your loyalty, to prove if you're all in or you are a wannabe. That's how they know. And the question I have for us, you know, are we wannabes? Are we wannabe, not wannabe gangbangers, but are we a wannabe disciples of Jesus Christ? Or are we all in? Are we all in? Because sooner or later, Jesus Christ is going to ask us to do something that will test us if we are a wannabe or are we all in. And I think the dangerous teaching that's going in the church today is it's okay to be a wannabe. 
It's okay to look like a, you're in a clique, to act like you're in a clique, to talk like you're in a clique, to dress like you're in a clique. But when, all, when they tell you to do something, it's like, ooh, you know, it's, I still have a conscience, man. I'm not going to do that. And I think that's one of the biggest dangers that's creeping into the church today. And that's something that we as leaders have to speak out against and try to, you know, motivate you and tell you that, we, you know, God wants us to be all in. But also, it's not to shame us, but that's the best way to live your life. That's the best way to live your life, all in. Because it's kind of like Mr. Miyagi, right? Karate do, karate don't. In the middle, squashed like grape. Remember that? You know, so if you want to be a, uh, a disciple wannabe, it's going to be hard for you. Your life's not going to work out well uh, for you. And so mentors, mentors preserve the faith. But mentors also teach out of love and as a means to live out their faith. Okay? Mentors teach others out of love and as a means to live out their faith. And this is what um, Paul says in 1 Timothy 5. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. Because the problem he must have with some of these teachers who are allowing some of this false teaching into the church is that these teachers, all they wanted was recognition. All they wanted were the accolades and the perks of being a teacher. They didn't really care about people. They wanted to show how righteous they were. And they used the law as a club to show people how righteous they were and how unrighteous all the other people were. And they used it as a club to judge people and just to, you know, control people or um, as a means to say, you know what, guys, look at me. This is how good I am. Look at you. Right? Because they were concerned about their image. That's what they were, they were concerned about the power. They were concerned about, whoa, look at so-and-so. He must be a really righteous person. He's a teacher. But that wasn't Paul's motive. And this is what he was telling Timothy. He said, mentor, um, teach others out of love. And once again, it says the goal of this command. It's, it's not a, a suggestion to preserve the faith. It's a command. But teach out of love and as means to live out your faith. So one of the things we learned, and if you were in stages of faith with me, that if you are to mature in your faith, the last stage is what? The parenting stage. And in that stage of faith, it is our responsibility to pass on our faith to the next generation, to pass on our faith to others. When we come to Christ, we're a child. We're just, give me, give me, give me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, right? But the older we get, it switches to we're a parent, where our job now is to mentor others. And he says that, um, he continues in verse uh, 6, it says, Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talks. And so he continues to reveal the heart of these false teachers. It says, They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they are talking about. Or what they so confidently affirm. So they want to be teachers. But they want the perks of, that comes with being a teacher. They have no idea 
what they're talking about. It says, um, they sought prestige and powers, and they used the law as a way to show off their righteousness and that they were better than the others. But then Paul continues. He said, however, they used the law as a club, as a means to show how good they are, right? But Paul says, we know the law is good if one uses it properly, right? And this is key. And he said in Romans 5.20, he said the law was brought in so that trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And this is a real key verse. If you, if you have your notes, write this down. Because a lot of people, when they think about Christianity and they think the church, it's all about rules. That, you know, we're supposed to be self-righteous by, you know, following all of these rules. And according to Paul, the reason for the Ten Commandments and the reason for all of the law wasn't so that we could obey them and say that, hey, we're righteous. The reason that God created the law was to show us that we couldn't live up to that and that we needed a savior, that we needed a savior. It was never meant to beat us up. It was never meant to beat us up. It was meant to show us that we don't measure up and that we need God. And that for the Israelites, that, you know, God was making them into a nation, a unique nation. And that he set laws, you know, to preserve them and to use them as an example of what it meant to be a godly nation to others. Right? But that's what... And then um, he goes on to say um, this. And this is the next um, principle. is your past doesn't disqualify you from being a mentor. Is it warm in here, or is it just me? Okay. Um, Steve, could you crank up, put it down to 60? I see people going like this. We need to wake them up. (laughs) Okay. Um, Anyway, he continues on with this. He says, "Your your past doesn't disqualify you from being a mentor. And this is great. I love these next few verses. It says, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Well, that sounds pretty good. But now we see why he's so thankful. He said, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, he persecuted Christians, and a violent man, he killed Christians. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. It says, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying. Here's a trustworthy saying, which is true. He's saying, this is true. Saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. For who I am the worst. And then he says, But for this very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience and as an example of those who believe in him and receive eternal life. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Because once again, this is an example of what Paul is saying. 
Your past does not disqualify you from being a part of God's kingdom, a, a part of doing something great in God's kingdom. And he was saying that God is glorified because Paul is saying, I am the worst of all sinners. And when we think of the Apostle Paul, a lot of us think that he was a great guy. But what she's saying here, I am the worst. I am the worst. You look at Mission Valley and you look at people. If you were to rank people from righteousness from top to bottom, he said, I am at the very bottom. But God was glorified because he displayed his mercy on him. Right? I mean, how many times, you know, it brings God glory when all of a sudden you, you, you're walking around your friends and they say, what, you, you go to church? You know, I, I see a, a difference in your life, but you're a Christian? You're a Christian? And there are still some people out there, uh, you know, who question, oh, if I see them, they go, you're a pastor? You? I remember you. <laughs> you know, how could you be a pastor? You know? But, but, it's this verse. Yeah. You know, you, I granted when you knew me back then, you probably wouldn't think I was a pastor. But it is by grace and mercy that God chose me to do that. That he's forgiven me. That God is less concerned about my past and more concerned about my future. And the same it is for each one of you. Right? God is less concerned about your past and more concerned about your future. Doesn't matter where you've been, because he said, I have forgiven you uh, of your sins, and I have separated them as far as east is from west, and I remember them no more. But where are you going? That's what I'm interested in, right? So many people I talk to feel like they're disqualified um, from being a mentor because of the past, their past. It doesn't disqualify you. You know, actually, some of the ad- best advice. I've given people were born out of the mistakes that I've made in the past that I've had to learn from. You know, and some of us, you know, may not do a whole lot of great things. The only thing we could tell people is, look, just don't do what I did. Hey, well, that's mentoring. Okay, that's mentoring, right? Because we know that God causes all things to uh, work together for what? For good. For good, right? You know, and parents, you know, you're mentoring your children. And part of my mentoring, and this is a hard part, but part of my mentoring, and I'm glad he's not here, he's teaching. um, But part of mentoring my son, Michael, was to let him know the mistakes, you know, that I made so he could learn from them. Now, granted, I had to use wisdom um, of what I told him and when I told him. There are certain things I waited until I thought he was emotionally mature and ready to hear um, certain things that I had to tell him. I didn't just tell him when he was a kindergarten, hey, Michael, guess what dad did? No, I had to use wisdom and discernment as a parent on when um, to tell him. You know, the interesting thing that when I told him, he said, I mean, it was, it's like, man, I thought you were perfect. I thought you were perfect. And can you imagine a son trying to live up to the expectations of their father who they think is perfect? How, the, how hard that must be? And I didn't realize that that's what I was doing to my son. 
that he thought I was perfect. And he was doing his best to live up to me, to allow me to be proud of him, knowing down inside he wasn't perfect. But you know what? We've had wonderful father and son talks, you know. And I was saying, look, Mike, you know, (laughs) I made these mistakes. And and sometimes my parents never told me what they did. They said, said, don't do this. And I'd ask why. And every case, it would always end up to be, well, because the Bible says so. And I said, okay. (laughs) You know? You know, if they told me the mistakes that they made, would that have made a difference? You know, I don't know. But I think I wish they had. Because here I saw them perfect. You know, I saw them having this perfect marital relationship. And here I'd see when Grace and I first started getting, when Grace and I were first married, we'd argue a lot. Then I said, man, what's wrong with Grace and I? You know, why is our marriage like this? Because I saw my parents and they were perfect. You know, and something's wrong with, and I'm a pastor. You know, I should have a better marriage than this. But, you know, they, they just never, you know, shared those, you know, things with me. You know, it's interesting, uh, you know, my former pastor told me this where, you know, a lot of parents were concerned, the youth parents were concerned about um, what their children were doing and the activities they were engaged in because they wanted to help them through this difficult time. And so, um, you know, my pastor, you know, talked to the youth and he said, look, um, your parents want to have a sit-down meeting with you guys just to find out what you're dealing with, what you're struggling with, you know, what kind of things that... um, you would like prayer for, and then so they could help you in these things. And so the kid said, no problem. We'll tell them what we're doing. You know, if they tell us what they did when they were teenagers or growing up. And guess what? That meeting never happened. Because <laughs> the parents didn't want to tell their kids, you know, what they did. You know, and I, you know, and it was tough for me to you know, share some of those things with Michael. But also, that opened the door for us to talk. You know, it kind of took the pressure off him for trying to be perfect because he thought his dad was perfect. You know, parents, that's important. And if you're kind of having a struggle as, okay, when and what to tell your kids, you know, come feel free to, you know, talk with me and I'd love to, you know, talk some of this over with them. With you, but finally, mentors help prevent people from ruining their lives. Okay, mentors help prevent people from ruining their lives. It says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well, holding on to the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have sh- suffered shipwreck. In regard to their faith. Now we're going to go through the whole book of Timothy. And we're going to see um, a lot of instances where people actually left the faith. Because they, sh- um, they chased after other things. And the shipwreck or the disaster that left them. And so that, that car wreck or whatever that um, led to these actions. And it says if you care about people you would point out the road hazards that you could see in their lives so they don't have a car wreck, right? I mean, if you see somebody speeding off a cliff, you know, wouldn't you want to tell them, hey, slow down, stop. There's a cliff coming out. 
And mentors point out bad spots or potential danger signs in the lives of the, um, in the lives of the individual. But when it comes to our faith, you know who the most effective mentors are? It's not me. It's not your Sunday school teacher. It's not Michael, your youth intern. It's you as a parent. It's you as a parent. The way you live your faith is the way your kids will model their faith, right? And it's hard to point out road hazards when you're not even looking for them because we're looking at other different things. And this is why being a wannabe is disastrous. Well, we need, we need to be all in. Why? Because our children are prey to Satan. Our children are targets to Satan. He just can't wait to shipwreck their faith. And it is our job as parents to point out the hazard um, markers all along the road of life. But if we're a wannabe, it's kind of tough because we're not even looking at those uh, road hazards. And this is why it's so important for us to model the faith. Because we have such a small window. And you talk to any parent who has a kid that's out of the house. You know, from the time that they're, you know, born to the time they leave the house, it, it just happens so quickly. Parents, you are the primary face shapers of your kid's faith. And this is why I encourage each one of us to take that seriously. Because what they walk away from is not going to be what they heard from me. I guarantee you that they're going to forget 90% of what I say by Wednesday. But they'll remember the way that you lived out your life. And so once again, you know, if you're saying, well, you know, I haven't done that well this far. Well, tomorrow's a new day. Tomorrow's a new day. Commit yourself to saying, I want to be that spiritual mentor to my children that Paul was to Timothy. And we're going to learn more about that, you know, in in the further weeks. And then finally it says, among them, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Uh, That's a tough discipline because we don't realize how much God protects us. And here Paul says, I'm going to hand these, these guys aren't learning their lesson. I'm just going to hand them over to Satan. You know, Paul loved them, but he said, you know, they just need to be disciplined, right? You know, and God says he disciplines those he loves. But who wants to be on the backside of God's hand, you know, all the time? Do you want that for your kids? I don't want that for Michael. You know, he, of course he's going to make his mistakes. I made my mistakes, you know. But I want to do my best as a parent to help guide and direct them so that when he becomes a parent, that he can mentor and disciple his kids. So what are the uh, a weekly challenge? Meditate on 1 Timothy 1, the whole chapter, every single day. Okay? And then next is to ask God to reveal anything, for example, good conscience, pure heart, or sincere faith, that would prevent you from mentoring someone. So, you know, do you have a good conscience? Or right now, is your heart pure? Or are you living a sincere faith? Maybe you're struggling in some of those areas right now. Um, Ask God to reveal that to you. 
And then what are some practical ways that you can mentor those around you by your actions and do them? Okay? Whether it's your family, whether it's your coworkers, whether it's your family, people are watching you. So how can you mentor people by the way you act? Think of certain ways that you can mentor people spiritually. They may not even know you're mentoring them. And then do it. But you know what? You know, I get that none of us are perfect, you know. And I hope that each one of us realize, you know, when Paul said that I am the worst of sinners, that God showed mercy on him, that God could take a Christian killer and transform him into one of the most influential men in, you know, the, in the history of Christianity. And he could do the same thing for you. So let's right, say right now, you know, I'm struggling with my faith. You know, that's okay. God could transform you. If you left him, let him. You might say, you know what, right now I'm more of a Christian wannabe than I'm all in. Well, that's a starting point. That's a starting point. Tomorrow's a new day. Just ask God for his strength and his power to transform you so you could be all in. Tell God, you know what, God, I want to be all in. I want to be all in for me, but I want to be all in for my kids too because it's important. And guess what? If God could do it to Paul, if God could transform transform a violent person, a killer, a person filled with so much hate, if God could transform him, you know what? The good news is he could transform you too. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I... 